Chapter 4 of the Texan Scouts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edmonds. The Texan Scouts by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter 4. It proved a difficult matter to find shelter. All the members of the little group were wet and cold, and a bitter wind with snow began to whistle once more across the plain. But every one strove to be cheerful, and the relief that their escape had brought was still a tonic to their spirits. Yet they were not without comment upon their condition. "'I have seen hard winters in Maine,' said Obed White. "'But there you are ready for them. Here it tricks you with a warm sunshine, and then with snow. You suffer from surprise.' "'We've got to find a cabin,' said the panther. "'Why not make it a whole city with a fine big hotel right in the center of it?' said Obed. "'Seems to me there's about as much chance of one as the other.' No, there ain't, said the panther. There ain't no town, but there are huts. I've rid over this country for twenty years, and I know something about that. There are four or five cellars' cabins in the valleys of the creeks running down the Rio Grande. I had a mighty good dinner at one of them months. There are more than likely to be abandoned now owing to the war and their exposed situation, but if the roofs haven't fell in, any of them is good enough for us. Then you lead on, said Obed. The quicker we get there, the happier all of us will be. I may not lead straight, but I'll get you there, replied the panther confidently. Royalston, at his own urgent insistence, dismounted and walked a little while. When he betook himself again the back of old Jack, he spoke with quiet confidence. I'm regaining my strength rapidly, he said. In a week or two I shall be as good as I ever was. Meanwhile, my debt to you, already great, is accumulating. The panther laughed. You don't owe us nothing, he said. Why, on this frontier, it's one man's business to help another out of a scrape. If we didn't do that, we couldn't live. Nevertheless, I shall try to pay it, said Royston in significant tones. For the moment, we'll think of that hut we're looking for, said the panther. It'll be more than a hut, said Will, who is of a singularly cheerful nature. I can see it now. It'll be a gorgeous place. Its name will be the Inn of the Panther. Menials in gorgeous livery will show us to our chambers, one for every man where we will sleep between white sheets of the finest linen. I wonder if they will let us take our rifles to bed with us, said Ned, because in this country I don't feel that I can part with mine, even for a moment. That is a mere detail we will discuss with our host, said Obed. Perhaps after you have eaten of the chicken and drunk of the wine at this glorious inn of the panther, you will not be so particular about the company of your rifle, Mr. Poulton. The panther uttered a cry of joy. I've got my bearings exactly now, he said. It ain't more than four miles to a cabin that I know of, and if raiders haven't smashed it, it'll give us all the shelter we want. Then lead us swiftly, said Obed. There's no sunset or anything to give a mystical lore, but the coming of that cabin cast its shadow before, or at least I wanted to do it. The panther's announcement brought new courage to everyone, and they quickened their lagging footsteps. He led toward a dark line of timber, which now began to show through the driving snow, and when they passed among the trees, he announced once more with exultation, Only a mile farther, boys, and we'll be where the cabin stands, or stood. Don't get your feelings too high, because it may have been wiped off the face of the earth. A little later, he uttered another cry, and this was the most exultant of all. There she is, he said, pointing ahead. She ain't been wiped away by nobody or nothing. Don't you see her, that big, stout cabin ahead? I do, said young Alan joyously, and it's the end of the panther as sure as you live. But I don't see any smoke coming out of the chimney, said Ned, and there are no gorgeous menials standing on the doorstep waiting for us. It's been abandoned a long time, said the panther. I can tell by its looks. 
but I'm thinking that it's good enough for us and mighty welcome. And there's a shed behind the house that'll do for the horses. Boys, we're traveling in tall luck. The cabin, a large one built of logs and adobe, was certainly a consoling sight. They had almost reached the limit of physical endurance, but they broke into a run to reach it. The panther and Ned were the first to push open the heavy swinging door, and they entered side by side. It was dry within. The solid board roof did not seem to be damaged at all, and the floor of hard, packed earth was as dry as a bone also. At one end was a wide stone fireplace, cold long since, and a chimney of mud and sticks. There were two windows, closed with heavy clapboard shutters. There was no furniture in the cabin except two rough wooden benches. Evidently, the original owners had prepared well for their flight, but it was likely that no one had come since. The lonely place among the trees had passed unobserved by raiders. The shed behind the cabin was also in good condition, and they tethered their horses there. The shed behind the cabin was also in good condition, and there they tethered the horses, which were glad enough to escape from the bitter wind and driving snow. The whole party gathered in the cabin, and as they no longer feared pursuit, it was agreed unanimously that they must have luxury. In this case, a fire meant the greatest of all luxuries. They gathered an abundance of fallen wood, knocked the snow from it, and heaped it on the other side of the fireplace. They cut with infinite difficulty dry shavings from the inside of the logs in the wall of the house, and after a full hour of hard work, lighted a blaze with flint and steel. The rest was easy, and soon they had a roaring fire. They fastened the door with a wooden bar, which yet stood in its place, and let the windows remain shut. Although there was a lack of air, they did not yet feel it, and gave themselves up to the luxury of the glowing heat. They took off their clothes and held them before the fire. When they were dry and warm, they put them on again, and they felt like new beings. Strips of the antelope were fried on the ends of ramrods, and they ate plentifully. All the chill was driven from their bodies, and in its place came a deep, pervading sense of comfort. The bitter wind yet howled without, and they heard the snow driven against the door and windows. The sound heightened their feeling of luxury. They were like a troop of boys now, all of them, except Royalston. He sat on one of the piles of wood, and his eyes gleamed as the others talked. I vote that we enlarge the name of our inn, said Alan. Since our leader has black hair and black eyes, let's call it the end of the Black Panther. All in favor of that motion, say aye. Aye, they roared. All against it, say no. Silence. The end of the Black Panther it is, said Will, and it is the most welcome end that ever has me. The Panther smiled benevolently. I don't blame you boys for having a little fun, he said. It does feel good to be here after all that we've been through. The joy of the Texans was irrepressible. Fields began to pat, and three or four of them danced up and down the earthen floor of the cabin. Will watched with dancing eyes. Ned, more sober, sat by his side. However, the highest spirits must grow calm at last, and gradually the singing and dancing ceased. It had grown quite close in the cabin now, and one of the window shutters was thrown open, permitting a rush of cool, fresh air that was very welcome. Ned looked out. The wind was still whistling and moaning, and the snow, like a white veil, hid the trees. The men, one by one, went to sleep on the floor. Obed and Fields kept watch at the window during the first half of the night, and the panther and Ned relieved them for the second half. They heard nothing but the wind and saw nothing but the snow. Day came with the hidden sun and the fine snow still driven by the wind, but the panther, a good judge of weather, predicted a cessation of the snow within an hour. The men awoke and rose slowly from the floor. They were somewhat stiff, but no one had been overcome, and after a little stretching of the muscles, all the soreness disappeared. The horses were within the shed, unharmed and warm, but hungry. They relighted the fire and broiled some strips of the antelope, but they saw that little would be left. The panther turned to Royalston, who inspired respect in them all. Now, Mr. Royalston, he said, 
We've got to agree upon some course of action, and we've got to put it to ourselves squarely. I take it that all of us want to serve Texas in one way or another, but we've got only three horses, and we're about out of food, and we're a long distance from the main Texan settlements. It ain't any use for us to start ripping and tearing unless we got something to rip and tear with. Good words, said Obed White. A speech in time saves errors, nine. I'm glad you put the question, Mr. Palmer, said Royston. Our affairs have come to a crisis, and we must consider. I, too, wish to help Texas, but I can help it more in other ways than better. It did not occur to any of them to doubt him. He had already established over them the mental ascendancy that comes from a great mind used to dealing with great affairs. But we are practically dismounted, he continued. It is winter, and we do not know what would happen to us if we undertook to roam over the prairies as we are. On the other hand, we have an abundance of arms and ammunition, and a large and quite well-built cabin. I suggest that we keep ourselves with food and stay here until we can acquire suitable mounts. We may also contrive to keep a watch upon any Mexican armies that may be marching north. I perhaps have more reason than any of you for hastening away, but I can spend the time profitably in regaining the use of my limbs. Your little talk sounds mighty good to me, said the panther. In fact, I don't see anything else to do. This cabin must have been built and left here specially for us. We know, too, that the Texans have all gone home, thinking that the war is over. Well, we know different, and maybe we can do more good here than anywhere else. What do you say, boys? Do we stay? We stay, replied all together. They went to work at once, fitting up their house. More firewood was brought in. Fortunately, the men had been provided with hatchets in the frontier style, which the rescuers had not neglected to bring away, and they fixed wooden hooks in the walls for their extra arms and clothing. A half-dozen scraped away a large area of the thin snow and enabled the horses to find grass. A fine spring, two hundred yards away, furnished a supply of water. After the horses had eaten, Obed, the ring-tailed panther, and Ned rode away in search of game, leaving Mr. Royalston in command at the cabin. The snow was no longer falling, and that which lay on the ground was melting rapidly. I know this country, said the panther, and we've got four chances for game. It may be buffalo, it may be deer, it may be antelope, and it may be wild turkeys. I think it's most likely that we'll find buffalo. They're so far west of the main settlements that we're there apt to hang around here in the winter in the creek bottoms. And if it snows, we'll just take to the timber for shelter. And it has snowed, said Ned. Just so. And that being the case, we'll search the timber. Of course, big herds couldn't crowd in there, but this is in the part of the country we generally find the buffalo scattered in little bands. They found patches of forest, generally dwarfed in character, and looked diligently for the great game. Once a deer sprang out of a thicket, but sped away so fast that they did not get a chance for a shot. At length, Obed saw large footprints in the thinning snow and called the panther's attention to them. The big man examined the traces critically. Not many hours old, he said. I'm thinking that we'll have buffalo steak for supper. We'll scout all along this timber. What we want is a young cow. Their meat is not tough. They rode through the timber for about two hours, when Ned caught sight of moving figures on the far side of a thicket. He could just see the backs of large animals, and he knew that they were their buffalo. He pointed them out to the panther, who nodded. We'll ride round the thicket as gently as possible, he said, and then open fire. Remember, we want a tender young cow, two of them if we can get them, and don't fool with the bulls. Ned's heart throbbed as old Jack bore him around the thicket. He had fought with men, but he was not yet a buffalo hunter. Just as they turned the flank of the bushes, a huge buffalo bull, catching their odor, raised his head and uttered a snort. The panther promptly fired at a young cow just beyond him. The big bull, either frightened or angry, leaped head down at old Jack. The horse was without experience with buffaloes, but he knew that those sharp horns meant no good to him, and he sprang aside with so much agility that Ned was almost unseated. The 
the big bull rushed on, Ned, who had retained his hold upon his rifle, was tempted to take a shot at him for revenge. Remembering the panther's injunction, he controlled the impulse and fired at a young cow. When the noise and confusion were over and the surviving buffaloes had lumbered away, they found that they had slain two of the young cows and that they had an ample supply of meat. Ned, said the panther, you know how to go back to the cabin, don't you? I can go straight as an arrow. Then ride your own horse, lead the other two, and bring two men. We'll need them with the work here. The panther and Obed were already at work skinning the cows. Ned sprang upon old Jack and rode away at a trot, leading the other two horses by their lariats. The snow was gone now, and the breeze was almost balmy. Ned felt that great rebound of the spirits of which the young are so capable. They had outwitted Araya, they had taken his prisoners from him, and then they had escaped across the Rio Grande. They had found shelter, and now they had obtained a food supply. They were all good comrades together. What more was to be asked? He whistled as he rode along, but when he was halfway back to the cabin, he noticed something in a large tree that caused him to stop. He saw the outlines of great bronze birds, and he knew that they were wild turkeys. Wild turkeys would make a fine addition to their larder, and, halting old Jack, he shot from his back, taking careful aim at the largest of the turkeys. The huge bird fell, and as the others flew away, Ned was lucky enough to bring down a second with a pistol shot. His trophies were indeed worth taking, and tying their legs together with a withe, he hung them across his saddlebow. He calculated that the two together weighed nearly sixty pounds, and he rode triumphantly when he came in sight of the cabin. Will saw him first and gave a shout that drew the other men. What luck, hailed young Allen. Not much, replied Ned, but I did get these sparrows. He lifted the two great turkeys from his saddle and tossed them to Will. The boy caught them, but he was borne to his knees by their weight. The men looked at them and uttered approving words. What'd you do with Panther and Obed? asked Fields. The last I saw of them, they had dismounted and were being chased over the plain by two big bull buffaloes. The horns of the buffaloes were not then more than a foot from the seats of their trousers, so I caught their horses and I have brought them back to camp. I'll take it, said Fields, that you've had good luck. We've had the finest of luck, replied Ned. We ran into a group of fifteen or twenty buffaloes, and we brought down two fine young cows. I came back for two more men to help with them, and on my way I shot these turkeys. Fields and another man named Carter returned with Ned. Young Allen was extremely anxious to go, but the others were chosen on account of their experience with the work. They found that Obed and the Panther had already done most of it, and when it was all finished, Fields and Carter started back with their three horses, heavily laden. As the night promised to be mild and the snow was gone, Ned, Obed, and the Panther remained in the grove with the rest of their food supply. They also wished to preserve the two buffalo robes, and they staked them out upon the ground, scraping them clean of flesh with their knives. Then they lighted a fire and cooked as much of the tender meat as they wished. By this time it was dark, and they were quite ready to rest. They put out the fire and raked up the beds of leaves on which they would spread their blankets. But first they enjoyed the relaxation of the nerves and the easy talk that comes after a day's work well done. It certainly has been a fine day for us, said Obed. Sometimes I like to go through the bad days because it makes the good days that follow all the better. Yesterday we were wandering around in the snow and we had nothing. Today we have a magnificent city home, that is to say, the cabin, and a beautiful country place, that is to say, this grove. I can add, too, that our nights in our country place are spent in the accompaniment of music. Listen to that beautiful song, won't you? A long, whining howl rose, sank, and died. After an interval, they heard the exact duplicate, and the panther remarked tersely, Wolves, mighty hungry, too. They've smelled our buffalo meat, and they want it. Guess from their big voices that they're timber wolves and not coyotes. Ned knew that the timber wolf was a much larger and fiercer animal than his prairie brother, and he did not altogether like this whining sound, which now arose and died for the third time. Must be a dozen or so, said the panther, noticing the increasing volume of sound. 
we'll light the fire again. Nothing is smarter than a wolf, and I don't want one of those hulking brutes to slip up, seize a fine piece of buffalo, and dash away with it. The fire will hold him. How a wolf does dread it. The little red flame is like a knife in his heart. They lighted four small fires, making a rude ring which enclosed their leafy beds in the buffalo's skins and meat. Before they finished the task, they saw slim, dusky figures among the trees and red eyes glaring at them. The panther picked up a stick, blazing like a torch, and made a sudden rush at one of the figures. There was a howl of terror and a sound of something rushing madly through the bushes. The panther flung his torch as far as he could in the direction of the sound and returned, laughing deep in his throat. I think I came pretty near hitting the master wolf with that, he said. And I guess he's good and scared. They'll come back after a while, and don't you forget it. For that reason, I think we'd better keep a watch. We'll divide it into three hours apiece, and we'll give you the first, Ned. Ned was glad to have the opening watch, as it would soon be over and done with, and then he could sleep free from care about any watch to come. The panther and Obed rolled in their blankets, found sleep almost instantly, and the boy, resolved not to be a careless sentinel, walked in a circle just outside the fires. Sure enough, just as the panther had predicted, he saw the red eyes and dusky forms again. Now and then he heard a faint pad among the bushes, and he knew that a wolf had made it. He merely changed from the outside to the inside of the firing and continued his walk. With the fire about him and his friends so near, he was not afraid of wolves, no matter how big and numerous they might be. Yet their presence in the bushes, the light shuffle of their feet and their fiery eyes had an uncanny effect. It was unpleasant to know that such fierce beasts were so near, and he gave himself a reassuring glance at the sleeping forms of his partners. By and by, the red eyes melted away, and he heard another soft tread, but heavier than that of the wolves. With his rifle lying in the hollow of his arm and his finger on the trigger, he looked cautiously about the circle of the forest. Ned's gaze at last met a pair of red eyes, a little further apart than those of the wolves. He knew then that they belonged to a larger animal, and presently he caught a glimpse of the figure. He was sure that it was a puma or cougar, and so far as he could judge, it was a big brute. It, too, must be very hungry, or not dared the fire and the human odor. Ned felt tentatively of his rifle, but changed his mind. Remember the panther's exploit with the firebrand, and he decided to imitate it, but on a much larger scale. He laid down his rifle, but kept his left hand on the butt of his pistol in his belt. Then, selecting the largest torch from the fire, he made a rush straight for the blazing eyes, thrusting the flaming stick before him. There's a frightened roar, and then the sound of a heavy body crashing away through the undergrowth. Ned returned, satisfied that he had done as well as the panther, and better. Both the panther were an obed were awake and sitting up. They looked curiously at Ned, who still carried the flaming brand in his hand. A noise like the sound of thunder away off waking me up, said the panther. Now what have you been up to, young'un? Me? said Ned lightly. Oh, nothing important. I wanted to make some investigations in natural history out there in the bushes, and as I needed a light for the poopers, I took it. And if I'm not present too much, said the panther in mock humility, may I make so bold as to ask our young Solomon what is natural history? Natural history is the study of animals. I saw a panther in the bushes, and I went out there to examine him. I saw that he was a big fellow, but he ran away so fast I could tell no more about him. You scared him away with the torch instead of shooting, said Obed. It was well done, but it took a stout heart. If he comes again, tell him I won't wake up until it's time for my watch. He was asleep again inside of a minute, and the panther followed him quickly. Both men trusted Ned fully, treating him now as an experienced and skilled frontiersman. He knew it, and he felt proud and encouraged. The panther did not come back, but the wolves did. Although Ned now had paid no attention to them, he was growing used to their company, and the uncanny feeling departed. He merely replenished the fires and sat patiently until it was time for Obed to succeed him. Then he too wrapped himself in his blankets and slept a dreamless sleep until day. 
The remainder of the buffalo meat was taken away the next day, but anticipating a long stay at the cabin, they continued to hunt, both on horseback and on foot. Two more buffalo cows fell to their rifles. They also secured a deer, three antelope, and a dozen wild turkeys. Their hunting spread over two days, but when they were all assembled on the third night at the cabin, general satisfaction prevailed. They had ranged over considerable country, and as the game was plentiful and not afraid, the panther drew the logical conclusion that man had been scarce in that region. I take it, he said, that the Mexicans are a good distance east, and the Lipins and Comanches are another good distance west. Just the same boys who've got to keep a close watch. I think we've got more to fear from raiding parties of the Indians than from the Mexicans. All the Mexicans are likely to be riding to some point on the Rio Grande to meet the forces of Santa Ana. I wish we had more horses, said Obed. We'd go that way ourselves and see what's up. Well, maybe we'll get him, said the panther. There's a lot of horses on these plains, some of which ought to belong to us, and we may find a way of claiming our rights. They passed a number of pleasant days at the cabin and in hunting and foraging in the vicinity. They killed more big game, and the dressed skins of buffalo, bear, and deer were spread on the floor or were hung on the walls. Wild turkeys were numerous, and they had them for food every day. But they discovered no signs of man, white or red, and they would have been content to wait there had they not been so anxious to investigate the reported advance of Santa Ana on the Rio Grande. Royalston was the most patient of them all, or at least he said the least. I think, he said about the fourth or fifth day, that it does not hurt to linger here. The Mexican power has not yet gathered in full. As for me, personally, it suits me admirably. I can walk a full two hundred yards now, and next week I shall be able to walk a mile. When are we all ready to depart, which way do you intend to go, Mr. Royalston? asked Ned. I wish to go around the settlements and then to New Orleans, replied Royalston. That city is my headquarters, but I also have establishments elsewhere, even as far as New York. Are you sure, Ned, that you cannot go with me and bring your friend Alan, too? I could make men of you both in a vast commercial world. There have been great opportunities, and greater are coming. The development of this mighty Southwest will call for large and bold schemes of organization. It is not money alone that I offer, but the risk, the hopes and rewards of great game. In fact, the opening of a new world to civilization, for such this Southwest is. It appeals to some deeper feeling than that which can be aroused by the mere making of money. Ned, deeply interested, watched him intently as he spoke. He saw Royalston show emotion for the first time, and in the mind of the boy responded to that of the man. He could understand this dream. The image of a great Texan republic was already in the minds of men. It possessed that of Ned. He did not believe that the Texans and Mexicans could ever get along together, and he was quite sure that the Texans could never return to its original position as part of a Mexican state. You can do much for Texas, there with me in New Orleans, said Royston, as if he were making a final appeal to one whom he looked upon as almost a son. Perhaps you could do more than you can here in Texas. Ned shook his head a little sadly. He did not like to disappoint this man, but he could not leave the field. Young Allen also said that he would remain. Be it so, said Royston. It is young blood. Never there was a truer saying then. Young men for war, old men for counsel. But the time may come when you will need me. And when it does come, send the word. Ned judged from Royalston's manner that dark days were ahead, but the merchant did not mention the subject again. At the end of a week, when they were amply supplied with everything except horses, the panther decided to take Ned and Obed and go on a scout toward the Rio Grande. They started early in the morning, and the horses, which had obtained plenty of grass, were full of life and vigor. They soon left the narrow belt of forest far behind them, maintaining an almost direct course toward the southeast. The point on the river that they intended to reach was 70 or 80 miles away, and they did not expect to cover the distance in less than two days. They rode all that day and did not see a trace of a human being. 
but they did see both buffalo and antelope in the distance. It shows what the war has done, said the panther. I rode over these same prairies about a year ago, and game was scarce, but there were some men. Now the men are all gone, and the game has come back. Curious how quick buffalo and deer and antelope learn about these things. They slept the night through on the open prairie, keeping watch by turns. The weather was cold, but they had their good blankets with them, and they took no discomfort. They rode forward again early in the morning, and about noon struck an old but broad trail. It was evident that many men and many wagons had passed here. There were deep ruts in the earth, cut by wheels, and the traces of footsteps showed over a belt a quarter of a mile wide. Well, Ned, I suppose you can make pretty good guess what this means, said the panther. This was made weeks and weeks ago, replied Ned confidently, and the men who made it were Mexicans. They were soldiers, the Army of Coast, that we took at San Antonio, and which we were allowed to retire on parole into Mexico. There's no doubt you're right, said the panther. There's no other force in this part of this world big enough to make such a wide and lasting trail, and I think it's our business to follow these tracks. What do you say, Obed? It's just the one thing in the world we're here to do, said the main man. Broad is the path, and straight is the way that leads before us, and we follow on. Do we follow them down into Mexico? said Ned. I don't think it's likely that we'll have to do it, replied the panther, glancing at Obed. Ned caught the look and understand. Do you mean, he asked, that Coase, after taking his parole and pledging his word that he and his troops would not fight against us, would stop at the Rio Grande? I mean that and nothing else, replied the panther. I ain't talking again Mexicans in general. I've known some good men among them, but I wouldn't take my word on any of that crowd of generals. Santa Ana, Coase, Cisma, Perea, Leona, Castrillon, the Italian Feliciola, or any of them. There is one I trust, said Ned with grateful memory, and that's El Monte. I have heard that he's of different stuff, said the panther, but it's best to keep out of their hands. They are now riding swiftly almost due southward, having changed their course to follow the trail, and they kept a sharp watch ahead for Mexican scouts or skirmishers. But the bare country in its winter brown was lone and desolate. The trail led straight ahead, and it would have been obvious now to the most inexperienced eye that an army had passed that way. They saw remains of campfires, now and then the skeleton of a horse or a mule picked clean by buzzards, fragments of worn-out clothing that had been thrown aside, and once a broken-down wagon. Two or three times they saw little mounds of earth, and with the rude wooden crosses stuck upon them to mark where some of the wounded had died and had been buried. They came at last to a bit of woodland growing about a spring that seemed to gush straight up from the earth. It was really an open grove with no underbrush and a splendid place for a camp. It was evident that Costa's force had put it to full use, as the earth nearly everywhere had been trodden by hundreds of feet, and the charred pieces of wood were innumerable. The panther made a long and critical examination of everything. I'm thinking, he said, that Coast stayed here for three or four days. All the signs point that way. He was bound by the terms that we gave him at San Antonio to go and not fight again, but he's surely taking his time about it. Look at these bones, William. Now, Ned, you prominent scout and skirmisher, tell me what they are. Buffalo bones, replied Ned promptly. Right you are, replied the panther. And when Coast left San Antonio, he wasn't taking any buffaloes along with him to kill for meat. They stayed here so long that the hunters had time to go out and shoot game. Along lanes, the thief of time, said Obed. And having a big march before him, Kosas concluded to walk instead of run. Because he was expecting something that would stop him, said the panther angrily. I hate liars and traitors. Well, soon we'll see. Their curiosity became so great that they rode at a swift trot on the Great South Trail, and not ten miles further they came upon the unmistakable evidences of another big camp that had lasted long. Slower and slower, muttered the panther. They must have met a messenger. Wow, it's time for us to go slow now, too.
but he said aloud, Boys, it ain't more than 20 miles now to the Rio Grande, and we can hit it by dark. But I'm thinking that we'd better be mighty careful as we now as we go on. I suppose it's because Mexican scouts and skirmishers may be watching, said Ned. Yes, and especially that fellow Araya, his uncle being one of Santa Ana's leading generals. He's likely to have freer reign, and, as we know, he's clever and active. I hate to fall into his hands again. They rode more slowly, and three pairs of eyes continually searched the plain for an enemy. Ned's sight was uncommonly acute, and Obed and the panther frequently appealed to him as a last resort. It flattered his pride, and he strove to justify it. Their pace became slower and slower, and presently the early twilight of winter was coming. A cold wind moaned, but the desolate plain was broken here and there by clumps of trees. At the suggestion of the panther, they rode into one of these and halted under cover of the timber. The river can't be much more than a mile ahead, said the panther, and we might run into the Mexicans any minute. We're sheltered here, and we'd better wait a while, and I think we can do more stalking. Obed and Ned were not at all averse. At his mounting, they stretched themselves, easing their muscles. Old Jack hunted grass and, finding none, rubbed Ned's elbow with his nose suggestively. Never mind, old boy, said Ned, patting the glossy muzzle of his faithful comrade. This is no time for feasting and banqueting. We are hunting Mexicans, you and I, and after that business is over, we may consider our pleasures. They remained several hours among the trees. They saw the last red glow that 